Welcome to another episode of Corporate CPR, where we breathe life back into your organization, projects, and processes, giving you insights to recovery and avoiding corporate mortality events. Joining us today is Ron Carr. Ron has worked with leaders on six continents to eliminate risk, gain buy-in, and achieve better results faster with the velocity mindset. His presentations and advisory services have generated over a billion dollars in incremental revenues for his clients. Ron is the author of five books, including his latest, The Velocity Mindset, and the best-selling Lead, Sell, or Get Out of the Way. Ron facilitates the Chief Revenue Officer Mastermind Group made up of CEOs and VPs building high-performance sales cultures. Welcome, Ron, and congratulations on your book. Thank you so much, Jana. It's a pleasure to be here. And I got to share one thing with you that you're hmm. going to find very uh, funny or uh, relevant. You call it the corporate CPR. Uh, for many, for a couple of years, when I started my keynote addresses, I actually started reenacting a CPR scene because <laughs> I was an EMT. And the whole concept of the opening story was your job when you sell is to breathe life into the lives of your customers. So how appropriate is that we're together today? Yes, I'm very excited. It'll be a great conversation because, uh, you know, you sit, your your topic sits at the beginning, right? If, if you don't have something to sell, like you said, the organization won't live. Um, so very excited. And, and um, but yeah, tell me, is your, how's your book uh fit with this and what's the angle you're kind of taking with that before we get started? Well, Lead Cell Get Out of the Way was written a few years ago and, and it really supports what people have to do to sell. And, and the bottom line and the premise is no one wants to be sold to anymore. Okay. But they want to be led through an acquisition process so they make the right decision. So that's the premise of that book and how to have the right conversation. The new book that came out this past May is called The Velocity Mindset which is how to eliminate resistance, gain buy-in, and achieve better results faster. It's a takeoff from Lead Sell Get Out of the Way. It's, it's, it's a leadership book, but the premise of that book is, what would the world look like if everyone acted like a leader and not a victim of circumstance? Mm, absolutely. And so uh, an example that I might be able to give, if it's okay, um, was when I started in sales myself, okay? And this goes along with what you're talking about. I was hired uh, by Royal Business Machines in 1980 when they came out with the first plain, plain bond copy. It eliminated that liquid toner that created all this mess with everybody. Mm -hmm. They're trying yeah. to seduce me, you know, 15 clear copies a minute. And I asked, do you have the duplicator? Ah, six months from now. Do you have the uh, collator? Ah, six months from now. So I was seduced. I got the job. And I'd call on companies and the first thing they'd say is, well, can you do what that big Xerox machine does on the third right. floor? And I say, what do you mean? Can it collate? No, six months. Can it duplicate? Six months. Come back when you have that. Right. Well, after three months of having my butt hurting from having a door hitting me on the way out, <laughs> I decided to have a board meeting with myself. Is what we cover in the Velocity Mindset, uh, mm -hmm. mindset. me, myself, and I. And, you know, the whole point is, is that every action creates a reaction. If you don't like the reactions, then you can change it by changing your actions. So I realized Absolutely. when I sat down, the conversation I'm having is about a copier. And they're comparing me to Xerox, which I can't compete. So I need to change the conversation. And I asked myself, you know, what does a copier do? And it's nothing more than being a communication vehicle. So... When I went into the next call, I said to the office manager, would you agree that a copy is nothing more than a communication vehicle? They said, absolutely. 
I said, what are your challenges with that? And almost, it was like she went up to the therapist couch. She goes, we need to talk. You know, Sam or Jane gets up on the first floor, has to make one copy. By the time they get to the staircase, talk to everybody, get upstairs, then wait on line behind all those big jobs, make their one copy, come back down, have the conversations again. It can take two hours. And I said, well, how often does that happen? Try the equivalent of two full-time employees. And I said, how would you like them back? She goes, how are you going to get them back? I said, simple. I'm not competing with that Xerox machine. It's a great machine. Keep it. I'm here to fill the gaps. And so my machine will be the perfect machine to put on every floor to solve those one or two copies, and you'll get those two full-time employees back. She bought three at a time. And I started selling multiple machines. The point, Jenna, is this. I could have easily played the victim card, saying mm -hmm. the company didn't come through with what they promised. But what was that going to do for me? What was it going to do for the company? The company still had to move forward, and I had to make a living. So I decided that it was my responsibility to figure out a way to sell it, and I just changed the conversation. So what would the companies that you, you know, that listen to your program, what would they look like if everybody in that company acted like a leader and not a victim of circumstance? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great way to start us off. And um, in it, it, and that's true, you know, obviously not just within within sales, but it, as you said, the entire organization, um, uh, so many um, departments get paralyzed by, well, there's nothing we can do about it or it's not our problem rather than, you know, proactively reaching, you know, cross departmentally to um, to solve problems and, and find solutions. Yeah, and an example of what you just said is like I'm brought in by CEOs and saying, look, we want to build a high-performance sales culture. Help us. And so I'll work with all the department heads. And, and they all have like a laser fair attitude like, hey, it's their problem, not mine. Not so. It's everybody's problem. So if you don't like the reaction you're getting from another department, what can you do differently to have a better impact in the conversation so they'll want to be motivated to help you? Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks that, like, for example, in sales, right? Everybody thinks this is because a sales rep or a VP of sales make a request, engineering, whatever. Everybody's going to drop what they're doing to handle that request because, after all, if we don't sign, then nothing happens. Well, they're not seeing it that way. They're saying if we don't make this thing right, you can't sell anything. So everybody's having their own issues like that. The question is, what can everybody do to have better conversations so people will want to work with everybody and not just say, hey, you know, nothing I can do about it? Absolutely. So, so I want to kind of start at the beginning of, 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 you know, the marketing and sales concept where we, you know, you look at somebody like Apple um, or the, like, well, Apple a few years ago, where they've kind of been repetitive. Um, but, you know, they, they launch a product and everybody goes and um, wants to buy it, you know, 35% of the market share or whatever it is. But, um, you know, it doesn't seem to be a lot of effort in, in here's the product. And, you know, it, it, it's, it feels like those success stories we always talk about, right? Where, um, meaning us as a general public could see something like that and go, oh, that's easy because they do it all the time, right? Because, and, and so I must just need a, you know, the old mantra, if you build it, they will come. But that's not true, right? Like you can't just well put so it out there and get sales <laughs> you know what a great speaker looks like when mm -hmm. they're up there and it seems it's so effortlessly and you're like oh that's so easy i can do yeah, that right that's when you know you got a great speaker like you said a great company like apple but let me tell you 
it's effortlessly because of the work they put into it. Right. It just doesn't happen overnight. All right. You need to understand the audience. You got to learn how to deal with an audience. You got to learn how to meet their needs. It's no different for a company. Now, what Apple did that helped them along to, to gain the traction, because like anything else, when I come out with a new book, when Apple comes out with a new product, it's the same thing. How do you get that product or book to get legs so it spreads into the marketplace? Mm -hmm. So you have to have that initial you know, placement, if you will. The thing that helped them get that initial placement was what Jobs did initially when he created the iPhone. He didn't like invent something in the back room out of his ideas in his mind. He simply took all his engineers, put them into a room, and said, take out your Droid, or at that time it was the uh, BlackBerry, take out your BlackBerry or your flip phone, if you remember those. Mm -hmm. And uh, what do you like about it? What don't you like about it? And all they did was created a list of what they didn't like. Now think about it. They're consumers just like anybody else. Just because they work for Apple doesn't mean they're any different. And that became the genesis for the first iPhone. It was a, it was a phone that was going to answer and fill the gaps. Remember what sales is about. Sales is nothing more than filling the gaps like I did with that copier. Right? Find a problem, solve it, you make money. It's as simple as that. When everybody's going after the same problem, then you get price erosion going on because everybody right. does the same thing. What about, though, you know, um, for those like startups? Um, how do, how, because the big thing, you know, is about, and, um, Malcolm Gladwell talks about it and the tipping point and and but getting enough like information over there out there that momentum gets gained um, sure. so that then you get those. So so what does a new company do? Like how do they avoid dying right off the beginning of start? Well, you got to find a way for people to want to use your product. So uh, you, you, you bought uh, Jello, right? In the stores, I'm sure. They know the pound instant Jello, let's say. You know how that came about? That came about in around 1900 by a gentleman. I forgot his name, so forgive me. But, you know, at that time, Jell-O was a rich person's food because you had to have your, 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 your day help to grind that stuff. You know, it take two to three days by the time they cooked it. And they're the, they're the only ones who could afford to do that. So, so he figured out, Let, let's get it to the masses. But the thing is, when it was in a general store, no one knew what to do with it. So what, he, what did he do? He came out with a cookbook that he put for free in the general stores which gave all the recipes that people could use and how to use it. The funny thing is, Jana, after it took like maybe one to three years for the product to start going, he didn't stop with the cookbook. He was doing it for the next 30 years. And even though the product was doing so well, he just did it as a value add. He was putting out 10 million cookbooks a year. <laughs> the bottom line is, how do you educate your customers mm. on what the problem is? Not what your product does, that's the difference. Right. Everybody is so worried about features. People don't find buy features. They buy solutions. So you got to educate people on the problems that they're going through. So, you know, there's two parts to influence. There's the heart and the mind. If I, the mind is where you compare and you decide, is this the right thing for me? The heart is the emotional connection. So whether it's a new product, uh, an existing product, whatever, it's the same process. If I go straight to the mind and about features and why you should use it, I don't even have your attention because you didn't buy into wanting to listen to me. I've got to get an emotional connection with you in the heart. Once I get that, then I go to the mind because now you're listening. You can't change that order. So the heart is about what they're going through. 
It's about, you know, educating them and saying, here's what you're dealing with, you know, and here's what's frustrating you and blah, 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 blah. And say, and there's a way to get out of that. And say, oh, yeah, right, tell me. And then you start educating on, on the product. But first, you got to educate them on the product, on the, on the problems and what the solutions are. And if you do that, you will be selling more of an existing product and also getting a new product off the ground, assuming that there is a need for it. Right. So uh, let's say we have a company and they know that they're they're struggling in their sales, you know, with their sales. Maybe they've seen them drop off through the pandemic, maybe, you know, whatever that but they're they're experiencing a, a, a massive decline in sales. What are some of the things you would lead a company through to 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 you know do that diagnosis, that medical diagnosis of what's going on um, on there? Well, let's take it both because you mentioned two types. You said a startup and an existing company in the pandemic. So I run a chief revenue officer mastermind group, which is made up of CEOs and VPs of sales of small to mid-sized companies that are looking to grow. So one particular company in that group um, is, uh, uh, like anybody else, had their business interrupted. They lost a huge customer, their, their shipping company, and, uh, and, and they need to step back and reevaluate what their uh, game plan is and what is really their value proposition to the marketplace because now shipping is destroyed. You can't ship, everything's late. And so now what is their value proposition? So mm-hmm. for that company, they got to sit back, they got to reevaluate the end. We always say in the Velocity Mindset book, start with the end in sight first. What is the end? What are we offering? What is the outcome our customers want today and how are we going to help them get there? Sometimes that outcome will change depending on what the external forces are like the pandemic. For a startup, you do the same thing. What is our outcome and what is the, what is the marketplace looking for? But then how do we get their attention when they don't even know we exist? Those are the two things that those two, two types of companies have to start figuring out. Now, in the pandemic, you also have unique situations. You have companies that are doing a lot of great business through no fault of their own, meaning they don't necessarily deserve it, but they're benefiting from it. Like the, you know, people, you know, doing home improvements because they were stuck at home for two years, right. you know, or right. buying the gym equipment and so forth. So for those companies, you don't want to get too excited because yeah, you know, ride that wave, but you better start preparing for when that wave is over because it's coming soon. And now what's going to be the end result that you're giving to people once they don't need it as much, how are you going to keep those sales going? So Depending on where you are in that spectrum, everybody's facing a little bit different situation, but it all comes down to outcomes. We don't sell products. We don't sell features. We sell outcomes. What are the problems you're solving and the problems change based on a pandemic? And if so, what do you have to do to make your value proposition more relevant? Something you said in there about the when you mentioned the startup, and because I'm sure in some ways this could be true for a new product launch of a, of a smaller company as well. Uh, you said the the key is getting your name out there when nobody knows about you. So how do you, you know, um, especially when you're looking at B2B, which seems to be a tougher, tougher way to sell in, um, especially in the pandemic, because it is so relationship based. What what ways are you seeing that people are getting, um, you know, their name out there and actually seeing growth in those markets? Leverage and credibility. Hmm. So let me explain. So like in a medical device company, which I've had some great successes with, 
you know, when you're coming out with a new device, what they all do is they look to get on the advisory team some top known doctors in that area. Doctors that have a uh, pedigree that people you know, and a following. Now, you know, it's not about bribing the doctors. The doctors have to believe in the product. They have to use it themselves and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. But if they become proponents and then they start talking about it or they write an article about it, that's giving you the credibility and the leverage that you need because it's not just you touting a new product. Here's how it's affecting the marketplace and here's how it's having an impact. So, and you don't have to do that with doctors in you know, a medical device, okay? It's everybody can get proponents in the in their industry depending on who are the uh, who are the, the movers and the shakers if you will okay but it's it's what you can do to leverage i got one client for example that's you know trying to get a new product out there in in in, in home testing for you know dangerous chemicals in the home if you will and so you know they went to consumer route but it wasn't really helping them because that's like a huge thing to do and you're going to exhaust all your funds really fast so what we're doing is we're leveraging their existing market, which is uh, people that inspect the homes. But then we're also going to be leveraging some of the major players in the homes, maybe the ADTs, you know, who already have vast markets, you know, where they're already doing security alarms. Maybe they want to add this as, a, as an added uh, service to their, to their offering. So it's leverage and credibility. How can you leverage what's out there already? And how can it provide credibility to give people... Um, at least the willingness to look at you and to try you. That's great. What do you think then, you know, um, with, with organizations, um, what are some other ways their sales teams go off track? Like what are some of the, what are some of the pitfalls that you see maybe from teams that have been together a long time or, or one maybe that they're getting a lot of turnover and so they have new people coming in all the time. What are some of those, I guess, pitfalls corporations see? Well, that's a loaded conversation. <laughs> and there's probably five questions you asked in that one. Well, I'll try and uh, break it up a little bit if you don't mind. Okay. Absolutely. Um, first of all, why do we have turnover? Well, before that, mm-hmm. all right. Um, there was a study done, I believe, by Columbia many years ago on why top-performing salespeople leave. And there were 10 traits, okay? Money, obviously, everybody thinks was the number one trait. It was number five, Jana. Right. The number one was appreciation. They didn't mm. feel appreciated or accepted or respected, and they left. Now, if you think about high-performing salespeople, egos a lot, okay? All right, they do it because they want the attaboys, but the commission is also an attaboy, by the way. Everything's yeah. just the money. No, it's just a form of, it's, it's a measurement tool for top performing salespeople. It's their measurement of how well they're doing. I remember I was listening to Buck Rogers, not the one you see in the movies, but the famed old vice president of uh, IBM sales in the 40s and 50s. He became a motivational speaker. And I was listening to his speak. And he was talking about, you know, why don't we have national sales meetings for IBM at that time in Madison Square Garden and fill it up? and bring in some of the top performers up to the stage and give them $1,000 in cash. Do you think that $1,000 in cash was enough to whet their appetite and hold them over? No, it was a fact that they were getting it in front of 18,000 people. Mm. And the fact that those people wanted to be up on stage doing the same thing. So it's not about money. Money is important, but understand it's also a metric system and it's about accepting and, and acknowledging people. So if you really want to hold people over. And it's not just sales, Jan. I'm talking about engineering. I'm talking about yeah. back office. 
do you celebrate people's successes? Or do all you do is criticize people or don't even do anything? I have manufacturers that have me on retainer and it amazes me. All they're doing is trying to make the numbers and they never say, hey, nice job. Hey, let's mm -hmm. applaud this person what they're doing. That's how you build in the culture. So that's number one. Um, number two with the pandemic now. Um, we know we can't hire people. We know that there's a labor shortage, right? Why is it? Well, people say because they made so much money that they didn't have that, that, that they can go anywhere they want. No, mm -hmm. the real issue is people are not going to put up with the same thing they used to put up with. Mm -hmm. And they'll go somewhere else if there's too much re resistance. Remember, the subtitle of the new book, Velocity Mindset, is how to eliminate resistance. That's what companies have to look at. How do we eliminate the resistance that our employees are feeling? Because if people get dragged on their personal velocity that they can't go forward in life, they're not going to put up with it as long as they used to. When I started in 1980, people had jobs for life. Now it's being said that people may take 10 to 15 jobs before they retire, even more. So the bottom line is people are only going to stay the jobs today if they really feel it's worth their while. What are companies doing it to make it worth their while? Yeah, it, it's, it's true. I um, So I kind of I'm called the cusper, I guess, it, where I fall from my generations because I'm between a millennial and a Gen Xer. But um, I I think I had 10 careers before I was 25, I don't know, or 30. But yeah, I, I, I went through them all from like being a legal secretary to being a registered sales assistant to catching shoplifters, um, all sorts of things until I landed in um, project management, which is really where my passion is. And, and I learned two things um, that I thought were important about me is one, uh, I, I have to have a changing environment um, where uh, like there's new things to learn. And so consulting works really well. And then I have to be in an environment where we have this is what we're doing and here's where we're trying to get to and let's build the plan to get there operations is really tough for me <laughs> like i need something that has like start start and ends um of yes we checked it off we we achieved that great you know implementation or rollout or whatever so i think understanding yourself is important as you as you go through these uh, your career absolutely um if you want personal velocity you really have to understand yourself because it leads to a really important issue. What is the one thing that really robs us of our own personal velocity? It's our stories. Mm. Now, we tell our stories every day. So, for example, someone says something to us or does something to us, we immediately translate that into story as to what we think it meant. Now, stories are fueled with emotion. It, you know, let's suppose, for example, that there were two children in the same class in seventh grade and they're trying to try out for band. And student number one tries out for band and the teacher sees they have absolutely no talent. They go up to that student and say, look, this is not for you. You'll never have the talent. Don't waste your time. Go and uh, find something that really speaks to you. Well, that student now develops a story. And let's suppose the story is, oh, I'll never be good at this. I'll never be good music and now they stay away from music the rest of their lives because they're embarrassed they never think they'll ever be good in it and they don't know how to enjoy it because they don't even think they can that's the story and you can see that's negative emotion on the other side student b is told the same thing but now they put a chip in the shoulder i'm gonna show that teacher i'm gonna become the best musician out there and then let her have egg on her face all right 
Now that's got positive emotions. So if that story is driving you, great, keep it. But what stories do we have in our lives that are stopping us? Mm. And as a matter of fact, that's why I wrote the Velocity Mindset because after I was done the presidency of the National Speakers Association, which was in 2014, I had nine surgeries, mostly on my back, and I had half my back fused. And so while I was laying there, I looked at all my successes, but then I said, okay, why didn't you get to the things you wanted to do in life? And I realized it was my stories that were holding me back. And so that gave me a new passion for the next phase of my life. Yes, I'm a sales and leadership expert, but now I'm here for everybody. I'm here to help people get velocity and not let their personal stories hold them back. And so if everybody wants to get personal velocity who's listening to this program, the first thing is look inside of yourself, see what stories you are putting on under, which ones are holding you back, and what can you do? Because the good news, Jana, when you realize a story is not serving you well, the good news? You have a choice. <laughs> well, not only that, but you wrote the story. Right. So you can just rewrite it. It's yeah. as simple as that. Mm. Absolutely. I my uh my been trying to work on that with my daughter. You know, I use the term growth mindset a lot with her about that, but it'll be like, oh, I can never do that because I'm not good. And I'm like, don't tell yourself that. Like as soon as you start repeating that in your head, that mantra in your head, like that's gonna become the truth. But then but ask her, you know, because when we say don't to people, sometimes they don't listen because yeah. they want to say, all right, so if you don't like that story. What story would you want to see happen? Mm, absolutely. And just help them start thinking along those lines. Mm. I did that with a softball team, by the way. My you daughter, what? I did that with the softball team. Oh. My daughter played softball, right? Mm -hmm. so on a summer team. And they were eight and eight. I mean, there were a couple of games I lost 23 to nothing. They were mercy in the third inning. And the one pitch in that game was throwing 65 miles an hour. They couldn't get the bat on the ball. But because they're eight and eight, they make the playoffs and they luck out and they get into the championship game. And who are they playing? <laughs> same team. <laughs> yeah. And the same picture. So they're warming up on a hot, muggy July afternoon in northern New Jersey. And they're all like got days in their eyes, like, oh, here we go again. And the two coaches who I used to coach with, but I didn't have any more time. They looked at me and said, hey, you, Mr. Motivational Speaker, come over here. You got five minutes, motivate them. Saying, can you really motivate a teenager? And the answer is no. So they put them on benches, they're sweating. And before I even start, there's one girl who's giving me the intent look and having a side conversation with me. You know who that is, my daughter. And she's telling me, You better not screw up because if you do, this is my life. So I don't know what to say to these girls. I said, Hey, look, they asked you not to think of pink elephants. What are you thinking about? And they all said, Pink elephants. I said, Here's the lesson the mind can't process the negative. So if all you do is you go up to that plate and you say, I hope I don't strike out again. Mm. Like I did last time. You're going to strike out because that's everything you're thinking about. What's yeah. the opposite? Get a hit. That's all I want you to think about. And they won the game. They wow. Won the game. So the reality is we can change our stories anytime. Mm. The trick is don't think about the negative that your mind can't process. Think about what you want to create for yourself. Absolutely. So like companies are made up of all these different stories, right? Each individual has a story. So how do you get them flying in the same direction, you know, like you did with that team, but obviously on a bigger scale? With proper leadership and mm -hmm. the leadership team that can effectively get everybody to, um, to ascribe to a higher level that they all want to get to 
and then get into the conversation how we're going to get there. That's mm -hmm. what leadership has to do. How do we get people to get to an outcome that they all are motivated to get to? Something above all the department's um, politics, if you know what I'm saying. Something that everybody wants. And then you work your way backwards and saying, okay, how do we get there? What are the key steps we have to get there? And, and you get them to agree on it. Now, just because they agree on it doesn't mean everybody necessarily personally agrees. They have to move forward at some point. And you need to have leadership that can be adept at getting people heard, but at the same time, having to move forward in a uh, direction that's going to get to that outcome. You talk about motivation and my head went to, especially within sales, metrics. And obviously metrics are important. They're important throughout the entire organization because that's how we can objectively measure ourselves. However, in sales, it seems like there's lots of metrics that can be used. And, um, you know, and, and me doing technology project implementations, I've, I've put in like a sales force and, and other CRMs. And so I see these sales teams and how they um, react to the new sales tools. And, you know, obviously, what we want is when we're implementing a solution is to improve efficiency so they can be free to go do, you know, go do what they're really good at. I often find though what they view it as is um, a way to be monitored. And so I'm just wondering, you know, what, what do you see what out there with that and what is maybe either a balance or what's the best way to approach um, those sales teams and balancing metrics, you know, performance, but also I guess, them feeling free to, that they can do their job? Well, a few things. Number one, the most important word in the English language, the most powerful word in the English language is the word because. Because represents the reason. People mm -hmm. need to work on the reason that they give other people. And the reason better not be self-focused, what it's going to do for the company. The reason better be customer-focused, what's it going to do for that salesperson? It's got to align with our salespeople want to go. And what do salespeople want to do? They want to make sales and they want to make it faster. So let yep. me show you how you're going to make sales faster. If you hit this one metric, here's what it's going to do for you. If you hit this mm -hmm. metric, here's what it's going to do for you. Problem is, you don't know if you're on that track if you don't measure it. So take a week just to measure it and then let's see how it helps you. That's what you have to do. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> Then you make it sound so easy. Well, it is actually easy, but the hard part is in the implementation that we all know about. Now, the other thing is you can't have too many metrics. I mean, yes. when you have too many metrics, it's like, oh, God. And remember, if you want efficiency, the salesperson said, well, we want efficiency. Let me go out and sell. If you make me do three hours of work, uh-uh, I don't want it. And it's taking me away from sales. No, no, no. So you got to make sure that what you're asking for is not going to take away from their efficiency. But at the same token, what is your reasoning and how are you communicating it? You know, mm -hmm. and we talk for a second about the act of communication, Jenna. Just because I say something to you doesn't mean it was an effective communication. Right. I have an idea. I translate it into a message based on my biases and experiences. So I use words that I think describe it. You, in turn, will take that same message. You will decode it based on your biases and experiences, and you'll get your stories to what you think I meant. It's only a valid communication when you receive it and create the story that's similar to the intent of what I wanted to give. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, it's not a valid communication. So if people really want, if companies really want to 
measure metrics and get people to buy into it, number one, make sure you have a good reason for the salespeople, align it with where they're trying to go, and minimize as much uh, interruption it is and make it as easy for them to do it because salespeople will not do anything that's hard for them. Yeah, no, excellent. So my final question, but I, I hope that you have, um, you know, three, three points or so to, to give to me here um, is so from your perspective, what do organizations need to do to avoid a mortality event in this area? Like, what are the things that are, you know, going to drive them to more, you know, to death if they don't change? And how do they change it? Give the salespeople the tools that they need to succeed, number one. Mm. All right. Make them feel valued, number two. And number three, the VP of sales needs to understand what her or his job is. It's not just to manage the salespeople. It's to run interference with the other departments to break down the obstacles that are getting in the way of the salespeople. Those are the three bullets I would give you. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Um, well, Ron, can you, how can people, um, uh, find your book and stay connected with you and, um, where, where do they find you? So they want to stay connected and find the, the new book, the velocity mindset and just go to velocitymindset.com. Again, that's velocitymindset.com. You'll get a box that comes up. Just put your email address. We send out weekly videos and other information every Fridays. They'll keep you in the conversation of gaining velocity for your organization. But also on that page, there's a leadership assessment free that you can take. And what you can simply do is take those five questions, answer it, and based on how you gauge yourself, you'll get tips and recommendations immediately on how you can move forward. And then finally, if you want access to the Velocity Mindset book, it'll be very easy for you to get on that page, velocitymindset.com. Well, thank you, Ron. This has been uh, extremely valuable. And you you really, um, I, I like how you put all of your recommendations into terms of how to how to be better leaders um because i i've i'm an advocate of that as well um it, it is the uh the game changer out there so i appreciate your time and joining us on the show well thank you john thank you for the opportunity to be here with you and to everyone else until next time stay healthy this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.